Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? It's 2018, it's a new year, new beginnings, new hope, uh, a new Star Wars movie. Uh, how are you doing Baz? Are you out there? Are you with us still? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, still alive! We made it to another year, <laughs> despite the best <laughs> the best will of sherry, mince pies, sprouts and uh, PDFs. That's, <laughs> that's what I was weighed down in. But yeah, we've we've come out the end of the festive period, and uh, my stockings are bulging with gaming goodness. And yeah, it's exciting. It's all fresh. The Christmas tree's been taken down, and the role playing books and dice have come back out. That's where I'm. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah, I I didn't get a lot for uh, for Christmas actually. I got I got some dice from my good mate Bez, some metal ones, so I can use them to defeat burglars oh, with if they come in during the night. Really but... annoying. Really, really annoying. Do, you, know do that, you think? Don't you? Yeah, I like them, <laughs> mainly because they're annoying, I think. No, because I do actually like them. So what's in your bulging sack, if I dare ask? Um, okay, so um, you know you get to that bit of the year, right, where it's uh, it's you're not allowed to buy anything for yourself because friends' relations have said to you, like, what, what do you want for Christmas? And, and they know you're a hobbyist. By now, it, they know, right? And it's getting easier and easier to supply the hobbyist with stuff, I think. Because you can go onto Amazon, the internet, and there's there's game stores around now. Whereas yeah. when we were young, you know, there was no point asking Auntie Mildred for a copy of um, of, of Block Wars, Games <laughs> Workshop, Judge Dredd board game. Much enough. as you might want it, it was never going to happen. And you ended up with some MB games monstrosity instead, like the Game of Life. And it's like, oh, I hope you like games. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so getting it, married and having kids. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Cheers. Um, or Star Wars Monopoly because you like Star Wars, don't you? Oh, oh, I love you so much, but this is going to die anyway. So that that makes it easy, but it means you're not allowed to buy anything for a couple of months. So by the time you mm. get just to Christmas and you realise you didn't get any of the stuff on your wish list, you are absolutely bursting to go out and spend a little bit of your own money on the stuff that you would have bought anyway. So um, so I've been onto onto drive through uh, and I picked up a couple of bits there. And I kind of like uh, looked over some stuff that I had on the shelf already and fleshed out a few collections. And obviously, because we're so cutting edge, what I've decided to go for is transhuman space powered by GURPS, right? So, because <laughs> it, it just makes all the My sense. My word. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I'm probably about 15, 20 years late to that particular party. It could, yes. be, a, it, yeah. it could, it could be a while. But I thought, I thought what I want is I fancy something really, really new for this year. So last year was all about the uh, the, the old standbys like your D&Ds and stuff like that. And um, we tried the new hotness with Blades in the Dark, which I still have loads of time for. That's great. But I fancied a real palate cleanser. And um, uh, and as you know, we've been we've been talking kind of offline about some science fiction stuff recently. So if nothing else, I might be dressing it up as a research project. But I thought my transhuman near future stuff is... It's a bit of a hole in the collection. I've got loads of space opera, and I've got loads right. of the other genres, but actually that yeah. bit of my game collection would probably do a bulking out. And the best thing about anything to do with GURPS is you don't have to play it with GURPS. So that's handy. <laughs> so well, one of the Maybe I things, will. <laughs> well, the good things about a lot of GURPS books is they're really good source books. Yeah. You know, like if you wanted to learn about, I don't know, World War Two German uh, mechanized infantry or something like the GURPS Iron Cross World War Two book was actually surprisingly good, hmm. and the same for you know Far Future or whatever it, biotech or something like that. The GURPS books actually, as a as a rule of thumb, are actually well resourced pieces of 
uh, knowledge and you know gameable ideas and stuff like that. You have to chuck all the game stuff away, obviously, because he wants to play that. Clearly, but yeah. you know, really nice um, uh, books. And I'd, one of the good things about Transhuman Space, I presume now, 15, 20 years on, it's not happening anymore. But uh, I think it's Phil Masters was actually producing like a was it Terralogo News or something like that? They called it. It was like a one-page news sheet that he brought out yeah. every week, and there was tons of them because they did mm-hmm. it for like a year or two. So if you were into it at the time, it was bringing out basically like a, a news item or a news sheet every week mm. of another cool thing that was happening. And that was a really good game support. That's that's like just cool. Like here's some more ideas about what's happening in this universe that we've created. So all that kind of stuff's great. And, and I think for an ongoing campaign or something. It's one of those ideas that we've done in the past, I think, individually here and there, but it's kind of drifted off a little bit because sometimes it feels as GM like you're doing all the work and nobody else does to a degree. Yeah. Um, but certainly Ian, who's running Blades for us, he, he does a similar thing. So like um, the day or two before we're about to play, he'll send out a little news sheet about what's happened last time and what's coming up, but it, done in this fashion of uh, the Duskwell newspaper to give articles mm. on how our heist went wrong and things like that. And I think that kind of ongoing continuity gives you something to, to longer-based games if you think of starting a new campaign in the new year or working out how you might join things up a little bit more. It's those kind of extra extra bits of gameable stuff that happen outside of the, the game itself. Mm. Yeah, and when, you, when, you're, when your mind's all fresh and you're thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to be good, you also manage to kid yourself that you're going to have all the free time in the world. <laughs> and that it's going to be... No chore whatsoever to knock up a regular newsletter based on the <laughs> on the skullduggery and all the millions of plot points that your players are going to go. Oh yes, please throw some more at us because <laughs> clearly you're going to play fifty two sessions next year. That's that's clear, and and it might be a few specials put in there as well. So this is all going to need content. But what fun it's going to be to to grind. I mean, to to, to happily write down some more stuff every single week. Right, so Getting lots of feedback from each player and saying how much oh, great they thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Stop feeding back to me about about all of these extra things you want to do off camera because I've only got so many hours in the day to prep this game. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then you start looking on Pinterest, and then your life goes down a black hole of oh god, this isn't even going to start. So I am um, I, I need to speak to you about this, guys, because I need I need to temper my enthusiasm for for this well new to me campaign which is a, at least uh, a solar system wide and long. And I could do anything. So I want to do everything, but I, I, need, I need practical advice, mate, on, on, on how, not to, how not to have this, this great uh, enthusiasm for a new game crash and burn on the rocks of reality by the end of January. Am I going to get past Valentine's Day? How, how, do, how should anybody do this? <laughs> Well, assuming you've got a bunch of people who said they are actually up for playing, and uh, no, I, I don't that kind them. of thing. <laughs> right, okay. So, so we need to step back a little bit. You do. Um, well, I think it's um, an old bit of work advice I had a while ago about uh, a small achievable goal. So, I don't think there's any point in trying to pull together your GURPS year-long campaign now uh, and then cry bitter, salty tears that nobody wants to play <laughs> after the first session. So it's a matter of building up in degrees, I think. And the first one would be to probably have a tester session uh, and see if people are on board with that and like the idea of it and say, I can do a bit more of this if people are up for it. And then you might want to look at doing a four to six week mini campaign, as they call it. And then we sort of like get into the, the big campaign, which you will need to have done some prep for. But until you've had your initial kind of like spurt at it and see if, if you've tested the water or not. Yeah, my advice to listeners would be, don't, don't go writing your 50... 
episode epic right now for your new game until you've at least dipped your toes in the water with your players to see whether they get on with it. Yeah, it's um, because <laughs> obviously I'm being a bit silly here. I that's good advice, and and that start small thing is uh, is really important, isn't it? Because a thing I used to do when I was a younger man, I had I had less money but more time. Um, was I always used to buy the core book of a game. It wasn't even called a core book then. It was just the rule book. Um, and I would normally, my next purchase would either be the screen, because I've got a bit of a thing for screens, but it would definitely um, also include a big, fat adventure, because games used to come with big, fat adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones I liked did anyway, and I, I always would buy a game because it had a big, fat adventure. If it didn't have one, I was always kind of stuck on, on how to go about playing it, really, so it never really got engaging. Um, but the trouble with big fat adventures is they take a big fat amount of time to play, and mm-hmm. all the classics I've had I've had a really good run at most of them I think, and I've finished a few to be fair. But I, I always I always kind of sigh in sympathy for people who say, "Shall we have a go at the Great Pendragon campaign?" or "Who wants to play Masks of Nyarlathotep?" Mm. or any of those ones. And it's like, well, everybody wants to. That's that's the wrong question to be <laughs> asking. <laughs> the question you want to be asking is <laughs> what are you doing next August because because <laughs> we'll be like a third of the way into it at that point and you know and people don't like to say no but if you but starting small has got to be the way forward hasn't it and it and it's really really old school to do that because your original D&D games before you bought modules and everything was you invented a dungeon and the game started at the dungeon door and it got bigger when people left the dungeon. They needed a village, and the village didn't exist till ten minutes ago. And I oh, better get one. And you know, we want to go to the city. What's it called? And you're scrabbling around, trying desperately not to call it something lame because it, it might stick around a bit longer. And, and that's how campaigns were built. They were built from play. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with your advice, mate. As, as you kind of knew I would, but um, it's yeah. uh, it's it's tricky when you get all excited about a game setting because that it doesn't really feel like you've got a blank piece of paper where you can just invent something in the middle of it and spread out from there sometimes yeah no definitely and it's something that i've um followed foul of many times things like delta green for example i've mm. read cover to cover and countdown and i've been super excited about it but it's all about um there's like secret plots and conspiracy theories and all this stuff that's supposed to reveal over a long period of time so it's hard work translating that excitement to your players when you're not going to tell them anything because it's all secret <laughs> and you've kind of got to like yeah. string it out uh, and trying to convince people that they should keep playing for a year because the payoff will be worth it is quite hard work after session two. If, you're kind yeah. of like, if they're not feeling it, you're kind of struggling. And the same is true for other things where you know, you've read a lot into something but people haven't put that investment in themselves. How can they get excited about it? Yeah. It's like sitting down at a pub with someone trying to talk about Stranger Things when they haven't watched any of it and you've watched two seasons. They're just not, it doesn't matter how enthusiastic or excited you are about it, the other people aren't going to be as excited because you could not relate to them how good it is by your explanations. They need to sit down and watch it themselves, kind of thing. So, I definitely think the first steps to get um, work out what sort of game you'd like to play and see if they're interested in that. So, if mm-hmm. it was Delta Green, I'd be like, do you fancy playing some X Files or something of that nature? Um, and if it was Transient Space, you might say, have you read Alton Carbon? Um, do you like that? Shall we do something like that? We put your mind into sort of different bodies and things happen. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. So it's getting that pitch right, and then do um, a relatively short run of it is the thing, and try and emulate the thing that you said it is. So mm. if you said it's an X-File adventure, you kind of want it to have uh, a monster of the week for two or three weeks, and there'll be a bit of plot. 
dangled in there about UFOs or aliens or something happening with a government conspiracy. So that when he gets to the end of your short run, you kind of go, oh, do you want to play some more of this? And they go, what was happening with uh, that guy who smoked all the time and this, that and the other? And you're like, well, play some more sessions, we'll find out, but it's going to be quite hard to track down, et cetera, et cetera. And mm-hmm. then you sort of have to sort of tease them into it a bit, kind of like the 1930s TV shows where you end on a cliffhanger and then say, do you want some more? You'll have to come back. Um, but yeah, I think once you've established what you want to do and you think your players are up for it, then you've got to like construct a neat little uh, small group of sessions and how they're going to go to an extent. And I think it's worthwhile not nailing that down too much. But it is mm-hmm. worth having some of the stuff that you were talking about. So you might want a way of handling a city. If you're playing a medieval game, or medieval-style game, you could get Vordheim, which has got lots of tables you roll on. So you don't need to map out a city, but you can think of a name for it and just roll dice to find out what happens as they go to different shops. You don't have to know where the apothecary is or if there is one. You just roll mm. some tables and it does all that for you. So having some resources to hand, either through having that sort of book or that you've written yourself, whether you've drawn out from the source material, I think that's all the thing. And you, you, you don't try and nail it down into a completely railroaded adventure, but you want a few sessions with, at the end of it, this is what I think is going to happen, or this is the big baddie, or this is the, the big reveal that's going to happen. And then I need some way of skirting along towards that with a bit of loosey goosiness so players can do what they want and end at a position. Mm. But do it with a short arc in mind to then hop on later if they get bought in to do it for a longer period of time. And, and the longer campaigns are a bit more like that, but with um, the kind of Walton Gromit lane track in front of your train as it's going along and you take your experiences from one week and carry them forward. Mm. But certainly initially what I do with a, a sort of short run thing is think of a big baddie or some plot that some uh, guy or some antagonist is trying to do and then what are they doing how's that effect where we are and then how the players get involved with that and then you just kind of like chuck all them things out there and see see which ones bite uh, and unlike a traditional adventure you've kind of got to let some down the vine as well a lot of it's chucking ideas out and you'll get a lot of players that don't care or want to do their own thing mm-hmm. or decide that the guy running the pub who is not a character but they want to know his name and his family and then what he used to do before you're on the pub before you know it, he's a major MPC in your campaign, and that's something you have to be a little bit flexible with and, uh, mm. and kind of go with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It, that preparing to improvise has got to be got to be a valuable time spent, hasn't it? Because um, it it, it, do, it means if it doesn't get used, you've not spent your, your entire week prepping something that isn't going to get used. And if it does get used, you can you can enjoy playing the game at the same speed as the players are discovering stuff. Yes. So that's kind of cool. And I suppose if you've got like a, like I have, if I've got a great big hefty PDF in front of me of all kinds of new and exciting stuff, which I'm reading a bit like a sort of, you know, like a holiday brochure for me. You know, other, normal people look through holiday brochures in January about where they're going to go on their summer holidays, and I look through far flung future science fiction role playing games to see where I'm going to be gaming this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at all the nice pictures and wondering if it's going to be as good a stay as the book tells me it's going to be. Um, <laughs> but you do have to you do have to soak yourself in this stuff a little bit, I think. Yeah. Once you've got that commitment, you know, once you've green lighted the campaign, you've got to soak yourself in it. Getting it green lit, I think, is a bit of an art. I think as you say, you know, you need to be able to well, first of all, a game has to sing to you as a GM. It has to make you want to GM it. And then it's got to sing loud enough that you can sing its praises to a group of players who might sit there going, say what now? You do what with yourself? And haven't we already got a game that we've been playing? And didn't we just like you know pick up this other game two months ago that you said we were going to play for ages? And 
well, I don't know. You know, you know, I don't like supers. Oh, but it's not supers. It's gritty supers, and nobody wears a cape. <laughs> yeah, but I don't like supers. Yeah, but it's not really supers because you're going to be on a spaceship, and that's not been done before. And and, it, <laughs> and I think if you if you're sitting around trying to convince people that the game is not what actually it is, are there the seeds of your own destruction there, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if, you, if you're getting that tepid response, don't try and push it. We've all been there. <laughs> Because what happens is people are your friends. So what they'll do is go, yeah, go on then, we'll try it. Even knowing full well they're probably not going to like it. But they're your mate, so they'll give it a go. Yeah. But but they're not going to play it all year. <laughs> like, no, you know I mean? no. And, <laughs> and, and, and the person who says, uh, I don't mind, I'll play anything. <clears throat> Ignore them, they're wrong. Yeah, they won't play anything <laughs> and they do mind. <laughs> but they won't be able to tell you that until the dice have hit the table and they go, oh, dear, I, I, I was never really into this idea. Oh, you idiot. What? what? <laughs> so uh, it's something we've we mentioned several times in the cast, but it's getting that bit about what do the players do and are the, are the players into that thing. Yeah. And and that's that's the idea. So my, my X-Files example is around the idea of you're going to be playing, there's going to be some like conspiracy stuff you don't know about, you're basically Mulder and Scully, so you'll have some government authority, so you can do and do shit, but you don't work wholly for the government, so you can't just do whatever you want. Uh, and there's going to be like weird and wonderful supernatural things out there as well. Are you interested in going and hunting down monsters and then working out government conspiracies? And those are, like, mm. those are your core questions. And if your players are coming back to you going, oh, no, I'm not really bothered about that. I just want to, like, I want to play aliens. I want to go to a planet and shoot things. It's like, okay, well, we need to look at a different game then. Uh, and it's, it's well worth getting that conversation out of the way before you buy seven books and read them all <laughs> and start drawing up stat blocks and maps and you know, a roster yeah. of NPCs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, probably... it's, it's okay to take a tone of the game. I mean, loads of games will survive, you know, a pulpier version of it or, you know, if you get a game like Blue Planet, there's arguably about 15 different ways to play that. But yeah. you can't you can't make a game something it isn't. Uh, well, not 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 with any degree of success or longevity, even for yourself as GM, because you picked up a game because you wanted to play it. You bend to your players' demands, not unreasonably, to be fair, but you know you'll be the one then that jettisons the game in a couple of months rather than people not showing up to your game. Yeah, exactly. And to pick up something you said before about um, you might have only just been playing a game for a couple of months and want to switch to something else. It's going to come as a shock to people if that's what you do. You've got, I want to play this now. You're probably better off having the discussion with the game you're currently playing that clearly you don't like or don't like enough because you've found something else you want to do now to be sort of talking about how you think that's going and I might wrap this up in a couple of weeks and that kind of thing. It makes a lot more sense to kind of come to a conclusion about what you're doing rather than try and jump into something else straight away. Mm. Otherwise, it feels like you're, kind of, you're still going out with someone, but you're going to try shagging someone else for a bit and see how and want everybody else to get on board with that idea. Um, yeah. So I'll finish it properly. Don't text them. Like, sit down. <laughs> Explain why you don't love them anymore. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to play supers. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But yeah, and, and we do bring this up a lot, but it's, it bears repeating. He's, he's having those conversations with people around the time you're going to be gaming with to make sure everybody knows what's got, you know? Mm. Yeah. Uh, if you don't like something, say so. Or if you do like it, but say, I want to really want to try this other thing, you know, put some times around it. I reckon you could like pause a game to run six weeks of something else to give it a go. Uh, and, mm. and doing that kind of thing is probably better than trying to ditch campaigns or starting whole new ones whole cloth and hoping that it all works mm-hmm. out in the end. Yeah, I, I think actually, you know, but my experience was, would suggest that 
pitching a campaign is okay, but realistically, you really want to pitch, you mentioned it, the mini campaign. You want to pitch a block, like six to eight weeks, six to eight sessions even. Yeah. And you want to be prepared to have a good hard reevaluate at the end of that. And, you know, you, you, have to, you have to put your neck on the line really and go, okay, guys, what do we all think? We're six to eight weeks in now. And even with slow burn investigative style campaigns at that stage, I think you would know whether you were invested in it or not. Some plots would be laid down. You might have resolved a few things. There should be plenty of NPCs on the table. There should be plenty of locations. You should be right into the meat of the game. And it's still not too late to back out. And I think I think everybody should be prepared to go, do you know what? It's not for me, if that's what it's going to be. And, and that doesn't mean that's going to happen, but you need to be prepared for that to happen. And if yeah. you are, then you've got that sort of mental fortitude to go, okay, all right, it's it's you know it's nothing personal, and it never is anything personal, honestly. Not if, not if you talk about playing with your mates for goodness' sake, or it's an online crowd you've managed to drum up. You know, people are cool about this sort of stuff. If the game's not for them, it's not for them. Because with the best will in the world, people will say, "Oh, I want a." I'll, I'll use an example. I'm really into slow burn investigation games, and then six weeks down the line, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, "I'll tell you what, this game is half slow, and it's nothing but investigation." <laughs> and so I'm, you're never quite sure what you're asking for. Um, so you know it's okay to turn that around. So I think I think it's probably foolish to to block out a year in your gaming diary for something. But if you can get past that first bit, I reckon that's the crunch point. After week six, week eight, if if everyone's still clamouring for it, I think it'll probably go long, and yeah. that'll be fine. But if they're not, if, and genuinely if they're not clamouring for it at that point, might be better to refresh everybody's palate. And, and and have a crack at something different, put something else in the chamber. Yeah, yeah, I definitely did with um, some of the groups back over there. We had Canners and a couple of others in the group, uh, and we did tend to ro- uh, rotate around because basically we had just a bunch of GMs. There was, like, there was no uh, pure players in the group. Everybody wanted to run something, so you kind of had to run for a bit and then suck it up and let somebody else have a go because everyone wanted to go in the driving seat kind of thing. Uh, and the games that we knew were good were ones that you'd you'd switch out of, play something else, and you know three or four weeks into that, people would be saying, uh, "Are we going to go back to that other one that we're playing? You know, we're going to play the One Ring again." Mm. And that, and you know, it, it soon becomes apparent which ones are the ones that have got some legs, uh, as opposed to the ones we're going like, "Oh, I'd quite like to go back to this game," and it was like, "Yeah, yeah, could do," and mm. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit vague about. It. So I think the proof of the puddings in the eating, so to speak, that like you. It doesn't mean that a game's going to die because you switch off it for a bit. It might often be that you play something else and go, oh, do you know what, I really like that other game we were playing. Can we go back to that now and now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's that's when you can give it a bit more effort and put some more legs into it. Yeah, I, I've not, not really experienced going back to a game, actually. I think when you, when you see people talk about games on hiatus, that's often code for that game is never, ever, ever going to get played again. <laughs> it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Realistically, yeah. I, I'm, I have a few relationships that have been on hiatus for decades now. <laughs> <laughs> They're starting to overlap. Uh, dear, the missus will be delighted to hear that. Um, <laughs> Thank God you don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I know. The two people who do probably don't know her. Um, I think I'll edit all of that out. Anyway, meanwhile, back at games. <laughs> We'll keep it as Patreon only. We'll stuff it away somewhere. <laughs> My point would be, I think there's probably a few gaming groups I said I'll be back, like 
Scott of the Antarctic and Captain Oates. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be, I'm just nipping out for a while. And, and Or the GM has or someone else has. And, and here's the thing, right? The thing you get really excited about in January, you're also um, you're denying the fact that other stuff is going to come out this year too. Yeah. So, you know, it's bound to. And you, all those Kickstarters you backed three years ago will probably arrive at some point. <laughs> um, and then you've got to go, oh, no. I just told everyone we were playing this brand new campaign, and but but now I'm I'm being tempted by this one. And I was excited about it three years ago when I handed over the money. And my old flame is back in town. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? So it's a game at ADD is real. Otherwise, you wouldn't be thinking about a new campaign in the first place. Yes. So it, you've all got to survive the the inevitable bouts of game ADD that are going to come along. Or you're going to go to like a con in April, or you're going to go to Dragon Meet next November, December time, and it's all going to start again, isn't it? Mm. Oh, dear. Yeah, and and there's always a way with the, if you've got a bit of um, game fatigue with a lot of your players, trying to introduce new elements to it. <laughs> I'm not sure where to take this one. I'm definitely not going to go out old married couple spice up the sex life or something. This this, <laughs> this analogy could get easily way out of hand. Um, <laughs> but um, if your game um, if you've seen something that wants you to take in a different direction, you could try and get some of that itch scratched by introducing some of it to your game. Um, so if you wanted to play some sci-fi, for example, there's no reason why you couldn't have something in your Delta Green game where there's uh, interdimensional travel or a gate that opens up or some, you know, there's, yeah. there's elements or tropes of that that you could bring into it. And the same for D&D. There's no reason why you couldn't go to a different plane of existence mm-hmm. and have some kind of weird and wonderful thing. So, um, I don't know. The locals have these things, these magic wands that shoot lightning bolts that are called phasors or something like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. <clears throat> they have teleportation devices, but you have to stand on this glowing sphere and someone else has to press a button over there or whatever. So you can yeah. bring the elements in of the thing that you're interested in into your current game if you wanted to, just to see how that pans out. Because um, I think one of the things that makes some campaigns stale as well, when you start out at this time of year going, this is going to run out all year, it's going to be brilliant. Is you do the same thing over and over again, it becomes easy. You just have more of the same. And the great Pendragon mm-hmm. campaign can very simply be for like 12 weeks, you just kill some Saxons. Well, that's going to get dull pretty quickly. So always have a mind for how you're going to spice that up or make it different or throw some left field things in. Once you've established what the norm is, try and make things aren't, that aren't normal to then keep it interesting. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, it it might be that New Year's resolutions are a fool's game. Uh, and perhaps best is like to chop it up into mini resolutions that when they're all added together might become a new year's resolution so you know try try shorter goals maybe you know six to eight week game or which is what a couple of months probably uh if you can get six of those back to back you've had a very good year haven't you yes well certainly that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i don't buy box sets anymore i may not live to see the last step <laughs> probably won't even read it all no <laughs> So have you got anything planned for the year then, Gaz? So like, I'm going to go transhuman space, which I know is a revelation to everybody, myself included. <laughs> Next week it might be different, but I'm thinking transhuman space for, for, for my giggles for the for the coming months, mate. What, what have you got on the nightstand around at Gaz Towers? Well, there's a few things. On the virtual nightstand, there is the new Delta Green, which I quite fancy having to go out some more. But I'm waiting for the physical book to drop because I'm just that kind of guy. I find yeah. reading PDFs quite hard work. Um, certainly if I'm going to invest some time in them. Um, so there's that. Um, do they do campaigns for that kind of stuff? I can't remember Delta Green being big on canned adventures. They've got quite a few. Um, okay. 
and it's one of the benefits of Kickstarter that some of the output of the Kickstarter they had a couple of years ago is there's going to be lots of PDF adventures. Um, right. <clears throat> and quite a few of them have coming out now um, in advance of the, the physical book arriving, if you know what I mean, or the, the director's guide, what they call it. Hmm. Excuse me a minute. Oh, still suffering from a cold. Readers, readers, listeners. Um, still suffering from the nineteenth century. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite. <laughs> um, but uh, I saw an interesting thing uh, from Shane Ivy, who's one of the guys behind Delta Green, on the uh, or what was it, Dennis Detweller? It was one of the two on Twitter. I, it was something along the lines of, um, I, I find it very amusing that people still play, you know, Delta Green, assuming that they won't die. Or so it was. It was that kind of thing that. I think the game designers assume that agents on missions in Delta Green will die or go mad mm-hmm. or get retired. So that's something that you've kind of got to, from a designer's point of view, you've got to consider in your game as well. So that'd be an interesting thing, I think, to run uh, throughout the year because I don't have a regular group, is if agents are due to retire, overlap, come from different cells, whatever, if I'm going to pop in up at conventions or when we get together or online occasionally, stuff like that, I could easily have a thread which will amuse me myself, having read lots of background and have my own ideas what the story is, and introduce lots of different groups of agents to it in terms of different groups of characters, or repeat ones might come back again if I see people more than once and that kind of stuff. To give me that continuity of a campaign without players necessarily having to be there all the time, if you know what I mean, because I haven't mm-hmm. got that regular weekly group. So that's that might be an interesting thought exercise to see how that works out. Mm. Um, and the, and the yeah, other that so- could be interesting. Yeah, the other one I've got sort of like lurking about as well is Tales from the Loop, the new adventure book. Well, it's kind of an old-fashioned source book for that in that it's got some adventure seeds, it's got a different location, it's got uh, some stuff about robots in there. It's like a real good uh, grab bag of different bits and pieces that kind of chuck together. Uh, and mm. I really like that. I think it's like some of the Slay Industries books from and back in the day and all the rest of it. Were they not, um, you know, here's your quintessential Elf 2 book, which tells it all about elves which has got limited use to anybody who doesn't like elves. Uh, it's just got a, a, a bag of interesting stuff in. And I think, again, that's something I can um, I can mine to keep me interested in terms of having uh, a related series of tales that happen in that kind of game world, uh, but have different players or groups of kids as they are to get involved with it. Hmm. Yeah, and you've run a, a last year, in 2017, I know you did uh, a couple of one-shots, well, quite a few, I think, wasn't it? So... You, you kind of like you've you've uh, laid some seeds for Tales from the Loop, and I think that's it's really gathering a bit of a head of steam now as well, isn't it? I can see lots of those campaigns starting up. I reckon Tales from the Loop was in a lot of gamers' Christmas stockings this year. Um, I think I think this uh, this year could be one where we start to see loads of actual plays and stuff coming through on that game because it's definitely kicking off, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen other people that I know certainly one who's got a, a radically different gaming style to me and all the rest of it, but. Everyone seems to get rev reviews when they run a game of it, so I don't think it's mm. um, it's one that requires a particular type of style or whatever. I think the game is very good at delivering a certain type of game, and because of things like Stranger Things and, and other uh, you know Netflix shows and stuff like that, it's it's one that's a touchstone for many people and, and can get, bring diverse people together with a clear idea about what everybody's supposed to be doing, uh, mm. and you know it's it's light enough that most GMs can pick it up and run with it and get something going from it. So. It's definitely um, hit a certain zeitgeist, I think, with the way things are in terms of uh, TV and other media influences at the minute, and, and the game itself is just like really fun to play. So uh, I can see that going from strength to strength. I think you're right. 
The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! Yeah, I mean, speaking of which, my other sort of contender for, for this year is it's not a new game to me. It's been sitting on my shelf for a long time and it's and I, and I got it to scratch an itch probably this time last year. Um, and that would be Mutant Year Zero. Mm. So from the same stable. Um, and it's been sitting on my shelf for too long and it's not got out enough. So I, and I don't know what's prevented that from happening. But, but you know, I'm never going to say I'm just going to run one game in a year. But Mutant Year Zero is definitely on deck, um, and I've got I've got the kit and I've got the enthusiasm. I'd have to go back and have another look at it. But one thing I do remember about it is that it seems to be a bit like Tales from the Loop in that it's got a really kind of grabby premise that everybody understands because you don't need to be steeped in geek lore to understand about a post-apocalypse and um, and about having a colony and setting out to explore the land again and radiation sickness, that all makes sense. But also that element of exploration is really key to the game in that um, nobody knows what's out there, so you don't need to learn about a world because the world is what you can physically see or through your cracked binoculars, and it doesn't exist beyond that next piece of eyesight. So that's good, so I'm not going to have to read any atlases. Um, (laughs) And neither is anybody else, and... There won't be any canon lawyers or any of this, that or the other. So it's got like that kind of prep-as-you-go kind of feeling that I think is a... Well, that's our favourite sort of game, isn't it? Halfway between Trad and Indy. Yeah. Something that you can uh, you can bounce around inside, but there's it's got some structure to it as well. So, yeah, hooray for the Free League, guys, because they keep giving us good games. They do. Yeah, I'd really like to try that uh, meeting you as well. Hmm. I suppose the other thing... There's Cthulhu in there, I was thinking. I was a fancy giving Pulp Cthulhu a go. Do you? I've got some stuff for that. Yeah, you were going to run it at one point. You suggested you might. So we'll see. Yeah. Mike never <laughs> sent me a copy of the game, did you, Mike? No. <laughs> I can't believe he's one of our two listeners and he hasn't, uh, he hasn't reciprocated. I know. That's why I, I, I'm, I'm going to spend 2017 not having anything to do with Call of Cthulhu because I haven't been supplied with enough Cthulhu to run. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, there's a sense of entitlement for you <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I've got a bunch of that stuff now I've got the, the great great fun to read the uh, two-headed serpent that um, Scott Dorwood Paul Fricker were involved with or yeah, yeah but where did uh, you get your books from uh, I, I, those actually both <laughs> I bought them with my own hard-earned money I say hard-earned I showed up at work and they gave me some money um, but yeah, I mean, I will confess to uh, giving Rick Mites a, a hard bargaining lesson. He, f- he must have felt like he was in some kind of souk in uh, Morocco or somewhere with me coming up <laughs> saying, if I buy two and I've got this and I pay cash, then how much? <laughs> how so, much for cash? So I did get a slight discount by uh, just basically being annoying, I think. But yes, that, um, <laughs> that the Pulp Cthulhu thing, or just general Cthulhu, it's one where I think I've got a, a market for in Nottingham. Several yeah. people have said they will play it, 
the trouble I'm having, like a lot of people do, is getting three or four diverse people all to commit to the same night and say they'll do it more than once. Um, so we'll see how that goes in 2018. But I, I, that's a game, at least if you're playing Cthulhu, where there's a good chance of death or madness. And if you need to wrap up a campaign, then it's quite easy to get to a point where it's all going to end very badly for everybody. And you, you feel mm-hmm. like you've um, achieved an ending suitable to the setting itself. So that wouldn't feel like anybody would feel like they cheated if they went mad and died suddenly one session because mm. we decided we weren't going to play anymore. But I certainly give them the, like give them the pulpy element a go, but I'd happily do it like a traditional seventh as well because I really like that, that rule set. I think they've done a lot with mm-hmm. the optional rules that make it worthwhile and give it a little bit more chance to last a bit longer than it would normally. So you, uh, you could do Master Dialethotep as well if you wanted. That's coming back, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, and... Uh, you see, Cthulhu is one of those games where there's tons of adventures for it. It does feel like something where you can have a planned adventure already. And if you wanted to run mm-hmm. a campaign of that, you just read the next adventure the next time. So that is one where mm-hmm. if you want to do it by row and your players aren't very uh, forthcoming on what they want or particularly driven in terms of them saying what they want out of the session, they just want something to do, then uh, certainly that sort of game gives you the sort of framework. And I imagine Pathfinder and stuff the same, right? You could just grab up a different adventure every week or D&D's probably got a lot of stuff. Yep. Yeah, 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 uh, totally. Yeah, uh, it absolutely has. You, you don't need to do anything yourself, really. Although, you know, I'm, I'm increasing of the mind that um, that you can lose yourself in research trying to find the perfect scenario to add to your campaign. And that time <laughs> could have been spent on just doing your own thing. And, and doing your own thing isn't as hard as it looks. And um, I mean, I, I've always enjoyed the, the published adventure. And as I said before, it's sort of thing that draws me towards games. So st- games with content are games I like to get into. But actually, my stance on that has softened quite a lot in the last couple of years. And, and games like Blades in the Dark, where, uh, you know, arguably a source book would be utterly pointless for that. Mm. Um, and and, and uh, I don't even know what an adventure for it would begin to look like. Um, so, you know, th- those are those are getting more preference for me these days. But I'll tell you what I think is, is missing. I think, um, I think Call of Cthulhu has always been amazing for having really good adventures and i think it needs them too because i'm certainly not clever enough to write a call of cthulhu adventure i could write a horror scenario but a call of cthulhu adventure i think takes special source you know and there's mm. people i respect do it very very well and it ain't going to be me um but i think that i think you know big campaigns big adventures stuff that really makes you want to play it out the epic stuff where it's lacking is in science fiction and pulp actually so that pulp cthulhu um two-headed serpent thing coming along that's filled, uh, there was a really big gap, I thought, there. Because back when Spirit of the Century was a thing and when Savage Worlds was going full on pulp and everybody was into, uh, before they saw it, everybody was into Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. It was really difficult to get pulp adventures that weren't just little one-shots or almost comedy games, comedy yeah. scenarios. And, um, you know, they're whole sort of like burning red line across the map. You would think it would be absolutely ideal. But there really, there has never been a lot for it, and I've, I believe you me, I've looked, and in science fiction is even harder. So yeah. you know, where are the great campaigns? Yeah, I mean, Triple uh, A did a, a selection of savage uh, stuff that was all pulp, um, a daring tales or something like that. I think they're called, and, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other things in a similar vein. But uh, the main author, to be honest, has about two adventures, and he just reskins them. <laughs> Well, that's how it looks to me. I know a lot of people love them and buy them and, you know, good luck to them if they get more out of it. But oh, they're all set up in three acts. The same sort of thing in the same combinations or a slightly different order happened every time. Just with, instead of this time, instead of goblins, it's 
I don't know, orcs or what you know. It was that kind of thing that there seemed to be like a couple of adventures just kept getting reskinned. And it's like you say that there's got to be more to the genre than that seemed to be there. And I think uh, having some uh, talented Cthulhu people put some effort into that's like a really good thing. Um, from mm. a science fiction point of view, I'm not sure. I'll be interested to see how your transhuman space goes. But that's always been one of my challenges with science fiction, I think, that I know Traveller mm. guys say there's quite a lot for them and they like being able to go anywhere. But I really struggled with that every time, saying, like, well, what do I want to do and where would I want to go? And, you know, what in that kind of Andrew, what's my motivation? If I decide I want to do something, how does that fit into this big, uncaring universe? Uh, mm-hmm. and a GM that might introduce planetary war on me at some point when I'm trying to set up my gun shop or something. That would decide is quite a nice idea. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, how do you yeah, write a campaign yeah. for it that's going to appeal to a lot of people, I guess, is the question. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, is the answer. So, you know, um, it's uh, it's been tried on a couple of occasions. I think science fiction games have always had that just issue generally. Um because everybody comes with baggage for sci-fi. We've discussed it to death, haven't we? But it's, mm. I don't think it's beyond the will and skill of people to write campaigns for it. So, for example, um, Mongoose, uh, with their stewardship of Traveller, um, did a couple of fantastic campaigns, which they released for free on a month-by-month basis as serials. And they're now sort of republished them. Pirates of Drinax, I think, is one. Mm. Um, and Secrets of the Ancients would be the other. And they were they were wonderful, but they were written by Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, so of course they were wonderful. Um, and then they realised that perhaps they shouldn't give these things away because people will pay good money for good campaigns. And and I think that there's a proven case for the, you know people want good adventures, even if it is just as a backbone for their own stuff, and it spins off after session three, as these things are want to do. It's nice to have an idea of what's going on. Um, and uh, there's there's definitely I think there's got to be some space there because. Why do people constantly go back to your D&Ds and your fantasies? Why do they start there? Why do they constantly go back to it? I think the amount of resource you've got available to you has got to be a big part of the draw. Mm. You know, even D&D, which has got a, a much reduced publishing schedule these days, and, and for the right reasons too, it's, uh, it's putting out great big adventures twice a year. Pathfinder does its adventure paths, which went to absolutely prove that you can sell what used to be called a module. The, the old the old saying was, you know, you, you'll never sell those because there's five players and one GM. Well, that's that that's true, but you're making a false link there because GMs want to buy stuff <laughs> <laughs> and players want to play stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I think that the, the published adventure is really hard to do, really hard to do well. But if it is done well, it'll be a real cornerstone of, of someone's gaming for a very long time and it's nice to have those kind of common war stories about like when you went mad in Africa during Master Night or Ethotep or when, what, what stage did you guys stop playing the enemy within? Because everybody stops at one point or another and it's just, <laughs> it's just which point is it? Yeah. Those, those are good, but you know, I, don't, I, I really don't know why science fiction and pulp definitely, and maybe even arguably supers. You know, when you look at the, uh, the stuff that supers comes from, where you have multiple crossover things and you have, Big long story arcs that take a year or so to come out in a in a monthly or bi-monthly comic, but you don't get many supers campaigns. They, those all tend to go a bit sort of like one shot comedy as well. They, yeah. they seem to be based on the Batman series from the sixties rather than from comics that you can buy off newsstands. That's yeah. that's odd. Yeah, um, I, I suppose the nearest I've got is uh, there's a godlike um, campaign that I can't remember the name of. It escapes me now, but you were. <clears throat> it basically follows the line of a military campaign that happened in Italy 
Operation Torch? Uh, no, that's the invasion of North Africa. Ah, yeah. um, it's the first, it's the first special air service or something like that. It's, it's like an Australian or a well, a colonial ones, I think. I can't quite remember. But anyway, uh, the point I would like to make is that that had some good ideas in it. Um, it was sort of like it was only campaign in that he followed the military campaign. Um, mm. But the you know the campaign itself was just like loads of battles, which you expect from World War Two game, I guess, about superheroes. Mm. And he just chucked some superheroes in again occasionally, but there was nothing. There's nothing superhero about that campaign. It was really right. just a lot of, you know, you get in a fight with um, some of your allies from a different uh, unit or something like that at some point over who's needing the coffee or something. And then there's some girls in town that you go and see and then you've got this hill to sort of defeat the German position or whatever. Uh, all perfectly fine if we were playing Gertz World War Two, I guess. But it wasn't really um, a superhero campaign, which is what I was kind of hoping from because it's godlike. You kind of want it to be more about these things happen because these talents have these powers or the Germans have come up with this ubermensch who've got this thing that now meant that this couldn't happen. Or So how are you going to resolve that with your limited powers? And uh, I don't know. It, it just, it was, um, like I say, it was disappointing from a superhero point of view, but I think that genre's always got the problem that you can write a campaign and then it turns out that one of the players has got telepathy and another one can teleport anywhere <laughs> in the world or one's a god yeah. or something. And you're kind yeah. of like... Anything you can try and set out as a campaign, as a challenge or whatever else, there's always a chance that someone's got a power that just negates that. Uh, and mm. then what do you do? So I imagine it's even tougher to write a, a campaign for that. Although, you know, there seem to be um, a lot of comic books, I've been aware, that run for many decades with lots of stories in, so that you'd think somewhere in that that you could glean the, the core bits of it that turn something into a campaign. But I guess that the comics and all well, the rest of it yeah. have well-defined superheroes and you know what their powers are. So a lot of the mm campaign materials based around how those powers are circumvented. So how do you as a publisher write something where you don't know what the powers are yet? I don't know. Tough. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. There's plenty of high-level D&D campaigns and, um, you know, wish is a spell. Yeah. <laughs> you can get around it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it's interesting, it? Because I think, like, if a, if, a game, if a game can produce adventures, it makes me believe in the game a little bit more. That might be silly, but it's the case. Mm. Um, you know, there's... One of the reasons I'm not playing Unknown Armies right now is because there isn't, to my knowledge, a campaign for Unknown Armies or even an adventure. I might be wrong on that one, but Unknown Armies 3. Um, I'd like to see one. I'd, mm. I'd really like to see one. And uh, and if there were one, I'd pick it up because I probably just want to use it just to, I don't know, just to get you inspired because as a kid, around Christmas time, which is kind of where we started, really, my Christmases and summer holidays and birthday presents were always were always that sort of thing. There were campaigns, whatever. And I used to read those in lieu of reading actual books, which is perhaps a little bit sad, but I would read through campaigns and adventures and kind of fill in all the gaps myself and imagine them being played out. It's mm. kind of GM prep, really, but I would read them like other people read novels or watch films. Yeah. And if I got excited about those, it didn't mean I'd want to replay it exactly with my friends because that would be railroading of the worst order, but it, it got me excited about the possibility that sometimes reading spell lists on their own doesn't get you excited about the possibility. Yeah. So, you know, a game needs something to make you want to run it, and then it needs to give you some scaffolding so that you can. Now, if that's a game like Blades in the Dark, where it just gives you all the right tools at the right place at the right speed so that you feel capable of going, let's play Blades in the Dark, great. But some games, and maybe it's because I'm looking at an old one like Transhuman Space, I kind of want that scaffold. Um, and if it isn't there, then it might die on the vine. 
Yeah, and I think we've mentioned before that the, the best plot point campaign for Savage was the 50 Fathoms one, where you're all kind of like yes. pseudo-fancy pirates. And that works uh, for a couple of reasons. And one is that you've got like your world map, and then there's, uh, there's bangs in inverted commas on each island, in that there's something going on on each of these little bits of a, an archipelago. Um, so straight away, your players can go off and do what they want, and there'll be a thing you can do. It might be like trying to hunt seals for their magical furs, or it might be fighting an undead horde that are defending this tomb where the pirate left his treasure, or whatever it is. But each one's got something. And then seeded throughout those islands as well, there's kind of, there's the, um, I can't really call them now, but there's like links to other ones. So in that mm. tomb, you'll find a thing about, and here's where I better, they'll have my treasure, and that'll put you in a different part, a different island somewhere else, which might lead you over there, and that kind of thing. So the world's quite alive in terms of the stuff lying around just to bump into, which helps. But then seeded throughout it as well, you've got your um, your campaign arc about what the campaign's mm. actually about. And you're supposed to drop them in, so every two, three, four sessions, whatever it is. So you get the sense of a campaign and that something happened and you build up something big at the end of it. But it doesn't just have that as exclusive all there is. You're still allowed to just bumble about and hit things. And I think that's probably the mark of a good, certainly for sort of fantasy games and that kind of stuff. And it could easily work for science fiction or other things as well. Is you want you want a campaign more of the framework that you're talking about. And then what you need is, is lots of little bits of cool mm. things to happen. And it might be interesting yeah. NPCs. It might be like curious locations. It could be like a, a good scene that you've got in your mind about what might happen somewhere. Uh, all those kind of things. You need a bunch of those kind of seeds around and then pointers that point to some other ones that they can go and follow. And then it gets a bit like playing Fallout or one of the other games on the computer where there's a main quest yeah. uh, and you get two types of players and one guy just wants to complete it. So he'll spend 10 hours on it and finish Fallout 3 and go, well, that was a waste of money. Uh, and other people who go like, side quest, I'm doing that. Side quest, I'm doing this. It doesn't matter that you know that your dad's been held hostage at the water plant. He can wait for seven days while you go for all these different side quests, trying to mm-hmm. pick up different bits and pieces that you've now found out about. And I think a combination of those two things is probably the way to get a decent campaign together is have just interesting throwaway stuff that you seed around a longer arc that you throw in more infrequently. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, people people use the term sandbox to to revert to something that's similar to that and I love the idea of sandbox gaming very much and um, but you know I, I, what I prefer is uh, to torture the analogy even further is something a bit more like what you're saying so in, in my sandbox I like to have little Lego kits sort of sprinkled around and, I, and I've bought them as almost like tiny little modules to go really old school to sort yeah. of drop onto my blank hex map um, and, and the connections between them can be as tenuous or as defined as you want them to be. But if people want to go want to go left one week instead of right, I like to have some options at either end of those decision points mm. rather than just be flailing about in the dark. So I like to sort of like uh, make it more of a theme park, I suppose, than a sandbox. But I need help with that, especially if it's a new game. I need lots of help with that. I, I, I need I need people to be able to be tourists in the new game. And I need to be the tour guide till you've got a bit of a feel for it. You know, like if you go to, literally if you go to a theme park or, or anything like that, or you go on holiday, you spend your first day wandering around and scouting it out, don't you, before you commit yeah. to something. And with any new game, you're going to want to scout it out a little bit before you commit to something. And and you need you need assistance with doing that. And, and a 300-page encyclopedia gazetteer is not the kind of assistance I'm talking about <laughs> because that that's <laughs> that's like trying to get excited about the brochure. Yeah. You need to you need to have something you can play with, something that's set in motion and a few dilemmas and so on. And 
and, and it's loads of fun to start scribbling those down on notepaper but with a fresh game that can be sometimes a little bit intimidating because you've not even got a group of characters together at mm. that point that could be quite a big ask yeah I think <clears throat> if we bring up God's own game Earthdom mm. there's a, a camp- is it campaign setting I guess we call it Polyth mm-hmm. Forgotten City um, that's got a cool bit to it, and, and it is a bit contrived. But you know, we're playing a role-playing game, so we're happy to go with it. And that there's a an old city that was taken out of the world and came back again, and it's now a complete ruin. And there's all kinds of nastiness in there, but also fabulous treasures. So why wouldn't a group of uh, happy-go-lucky adventurers want to go rooting around and see what they can get and possibly killed? Uh, and one corner of it's now called Haven, which is uh, like a, a kind of um, deadwood city where a town rather that's kind of like defended from the main city, but it's really where Lots of prospectors and inverted commas turn up or adventurers turn up and try their luck in poor length before getting eaten by horrors. Um, but within that, it's got like lots of bits that then happen when you go there. So you set that up as your, this is the conceit of our adventuring game we're going to play, that you're in this town called Haven and you've just shown up and you've got a couple of silver pieces to rub together, but that's about it. You're going to have to make your fortune in the big dangerous city. Uh, what do you want to do? And, and in the meantime, there's like a couple of different adventurers guilds and they both try and court you mm. and get you to join their guild rather than the other one. Uh, there's a spy from the evil empire who's knocking around who'll probably follow you and you, you feel like you're being watched for some reason. And there's all kinds of other bits and pieces that happen just while you're hanging out. Uh, and in between adventures, they can escalate and stuff can happen. And it's it's having that... Uh, there's an element of what do I do if my players do nothing and you kind of want some things to poke them with to show them the game world. So it might be that someone comes up saying, you know, I, I want you to give me information about X, Y, and Z and I'll give you some money. And they think Hill will do that. And it transpires that the big empire next door is thinking of overtaking, and that's their introduction to that game world. You don't have to explain to them what the Theron Empire is or what their designs are on Bice and everything, but you can just actually have a spy there who's offering money for information, and it will be revealed through a couple of sessions that he works for this empire and their baddies because of this reason. Uh, and it's having, like you say, gameable stuff that will happen to come and prod your players if they don't go prodding other things themselves to introduce bits of story to them or bits about the game world. Wow, I want to play Earthdawn now. <laughs> <laughs> Earthdawn was great. <laughs> Parlayth was brilliant. And even as that must be nicked from the big rubble and paved it. It's that kind that, of thing. Yeah. yeah, we've seen it all before. But, that, but that's good, though, isn't it? Because everybody who started a RuneQuest campaign probably went with the big rubble and pavis because it was there and yeah. it was and it was full of hooks and even if you did nothing people would come and speak to you and stuff had to happen um and you could make as little of it as much of it as you wanted but it was you know flick forward a couple of paragraphs and there's a there's a piece of adventure there mm. let's go you know that that's that's the stuff dreams are made of with games and games that games sometimes don't give you that they sometimes give you a physics engine or they sometimes give you a story engine or they sometimes give you a baroque gothic setting but they forget to give you something you can have adventures in. Um, and that's a real shame. So, yeah, hopefully transhuman space isn't just going to be like, you know, like reading a, 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 a novel with half the adjectives taken out and no plot. But, <laughs> so, <laughs> that does tend to happen with some big settings, especially the older ones. Yeah, I can save you oh, some time. Sure and so, <laughs> 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 I read a lot of transhuman space, and it did feel a little bit like one of those where you're going, this is all great, but what do I do? Okay, so I think yeah, it's yeah, always a little bit. Mission, the, yeah. It's got the blue planet problem. Where you've got to decide for yourself what you want to do, and then use the setting for that. So you might have to come up with some of your own stuff. I do find it quite interesting, actually. A lot of conventions recently, I, I've run something, and, and players quite often say, "Oh, did you write that, or is that a published adventure?" Can I get hold of that? And it's, it's like, no, right. I, just, I just made it up. And 
it's a 50-50 thing, but a lot of people seem surprised that I've written an adventure. Like they're expecting it to uh-huh. be something that someone else has written and I've run for them. And quite a lot of adventures I've seen run are, you know, scenarios that people just pick up and run. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm wondering if it's a little bit of an art that's almost lost or, or becoming lost in terms of people thinking their own stuff up and, and, and running with it. And you possibly need, thought, you possibly yeah, need some adventures in the first place for the game so you understand what you're supposed to be doing and then you can do your own flavours of that. And, and if you don't have any adventures for a game, then maybe it's a bit harder to say, I'm going to do my own adventure because I don't know what, what would be interesting to my players here, perhaps. Mm. I don't know. The impression I always got from convention gaming is outside of organised play was that the vast majority were, were generated by the GM sat at the end of the table and that they were all homebrews. That's the impression I got. I mean, I, I always ran, or, or more often than not, I would run little intro scenarios or demo games or stuff provided by the publisher and I thought I was in the minority for doing that. Um, so, and, and small cons, big cons outside of like you know adventurers league or things like that where you are supplied with a, a docket with a with an adventure in um maybe it's just the circles we hung out in mate but yeah it, it, i would be surprised to see you running a game at a convention that you hadn't written yourself mm. I, I've, I don't think i've ever seen you run a published adventure uh, you must have done but i don't think i've played in very many if, if any at all yeah i'm trying to think i'm pretty sure i have at some point but i can't remember what they are mm. um I've, I've done it with um Tales of Leap actually a couple of times when I've run an adventure and then the one I've written and then I've had repeat players for this, a later session so I've had to use something at the last minute so that they hadn't played it already so I used one of the ones out of the book kind of thing but yeah okay. Um, as a general rule I like to write my own stuff if I can and yeah. I think that's good well, for, your, for your campaign to kind of like give an idea of what can happen there is if, if the book's not giving you much you probably think about the sort of stuff you want to do so if it was transient space, you might have read Alter Carbon or watched the upcoming Netflix series or whatever, or some other source, like maybe watch The Expanse or something that gives you an idea of, of the thing that you want to happen. So you could write your own framework that will fit that. So I, I always, if I'm doing a, a shortish campaign, I would like to think of what's happening. There's usually some big baddie or something happening that's come out of good intentions but will lead to bad things. And then mm. I think to myself how that will happen if the players do nothing. If there were no players, what right. would happen? And have a timeline. Uh, and then you stick players in and go, how do, how would people react to that? So I don't have it written down saying that, um, I don't know, Admiral Adama or whatever will do this at this point in session three. I've just got that he's a, a bombastic general, and if anybody gets in his way, he's going to send security to sort it out straight away without thinking of political repercussions or something like that. So you could set up those kind of things, and then as players push buttons or do stuff, you can have the, the sort of like points or NPCs you've got in your situation set up respond to that in the way they would and they can be mm. relatively two-dimensional about it or just have three aspects from fate or whatever it is um but i think setting that kind of stuff up without having too much detail gives you the starting point and as you go through a campaign or a series of adventures you can refine that as you know the things that are going to be coming to your game more and more time and time again and give them more detail or flesh them out or introduce some of their friends or offices or allies or enemies or whatever it might be mm. yeah there's there's something to be said for getting yourself a brand new notebook and uh, and open it up and on page one starting to write down a couple of things and then drawing little arrows and some NPC names and then a relationship web and then a couple of ideas and then you're off, yeah, aren't you? And then, you know, hopefully you get a good chunk into that notebook before it folds. But, you know, it's it's nice to have a new campaign book, isn't it? And, and write the date in the top corner, underline it twice <laughs> in your neatest handwriting. <laughs> 
And then be sad when that's all that's written there two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart from the title. <laughs> and it was leather bound as well because you really meant it this time. It's a moleskin, <laughs> £15 book. Yeah. Bought new dice specially. <laughs> I think the other good one to remember with campaigns as well is to reincorporate stuff. So it's taking notes in the session, isn't it? It's things that yeah. are gelling with the players or that they do that you think might have a consequence later or might just be interesting to bring back up again. Make little notes of them so you can bring them up next time or the time after and stuff like that. Even if it's something as silly as not returning a library book, do you know what I mean? They could have borrowed an ancient dusty tome off an alchemist to go and do this thing and at no point have they bothered to go back because they decided mm. they were just going to keep the treasure for themselves or whatever. So a couple yeah. of sessions later, a team of bounty hunters turn up looking for that book. And they suddenly kick the door into your tavern when you're there and, and you know demanding something back off you, but... At the time, you might not explain why the encounter's happening. It'll just become apparent through the uh, the encounter that's 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 the reason for it. But uh, it's not just about making notes uh, in between sessions or in advance of sessions. It's quite often writing stuff down that's cool as it's happening, so you can use it again later. Mm. Mm. Yeah, fold it back in. Yeah, I'm excited now. I'm really excited. I want to run some games. I want to play some games. I want to start scribbling down some notes. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a good year for gaming, I think. There's there's lots to come. And if you get your Delta Green Book land for your letterbox, it's going to be all horror all the time, right? And Probably. Yeah, cool. And I'm, you never know, I might do some post-apocalyptic wasteland stuff and be good to, to hook up with some people online. Mm. Um, oh, oh, which which makes me think, actually, um, our glorious patrons, uh, the wonderful, wonderful people who, who keep us uh, keep us in internet on a month-to-month <laughs> basis, if not in gin and hats, Thank you, guys. You really are paying for stuff that we can't afford to. So thank you for that. We're getting really close to the um, to the next stretch goal. So the fanzine for those who've been waiting on news that's uh, that's pretty much approaching being into layout now. I think really isn't it? And that's that's pretty much written. Yep, um, we're getting some art together for that. Hopefully, you know, watch this space. We'll keep you keep you in tune. But the next stretch goal um, is about to unlock, and and that involves um, putting some scenarios together. So mm-hmm. this is. You know, this is a good time to be getting all excited about writing games and stuff, and our glorious patrons can be a part of those scenarios. So, you know, you, if you want to be the first NPC in my new leather bound notebook, <laughs> all you've got to do is drop a couple of dollars in the tin. <laughs> do that. And if you want your name as the first murder victim, drop a couple of dollars in my tin. <laughs> <laughs> you have a choice. You can go cinematic and swashbuckly for me or grim and gritty for Gaz. You get to pick which one you want. Red pill, blue pill. <laughs> They're both tasty. <laughs> yeah, you get a Benny with mine. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much everybody who's, who has been supporting us on Patreon. It's good to see us get um, enough to cover all the bills and stuff like that now. We can actually give you a fanzine or something out the back of it as well which is always one of our goals was to try and give a bit more out there to people who supported us so thanks for that cool okay well I've, i think new beginners need to turn into new middles mate so uh let's wrap it up for this time so thanks everybody for listening in you know how to get in touch with us by now um there'll, there'll be a nice woman doing a jingle in a minute which will tell you more about how to get in contact with us and after that there'll be some drums and we'll see you next time Bye bye you can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty@hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions, and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy.